All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your everlasting mercy. We thank you, Abba, that we are not orphans. We are your children, and you are a good father. And so you haven't left us without counsel, for you have left us with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to guide us, to quicken things to us, to wake up things in our spirit so we might understand. Father, I yield myself right now, this vessel, to your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord God, move through your Holy Spirit. Let him just speak to me, guide me, whispering to me along the way. In the name of Yeshua, amen. All right. Well, Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, of laying on our hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So we're waiting for God to permit. And again, the exhortation that we had before about God permitting has to do with not that you have the knowledge of these things, but that you have the knowledge in such a way that you're walking it out. It's impacting your life. It's not just thoughts in your head, knowledge in your head, but it has an impact on you that the things you do in this life, in this world, these six principles are always in your mind and foundation. And so we've been walking through those, and we've covered all the ones, and today we're going to start with resurrection of the dead. But I, I want you to see that the, there's a flow. On one hand, you know, we, we talk about they're writing to Jewish believers of that time, and we got to have a sense of what did they know, what did they understand. And by that time, Judaism had quite, did a great job of developing even the whole issue of resurrection and eternal judgment, a clear thinking on that by that time. And so we need to see, though, that a lot of this is connected with what you understand the working and operation of the tabernacle that is coming out of that, so that we started with repentance from dead works. That's how you kind of approach the tabernacle. You're coming with your atoning, your sacrifice because of transgressions that you made, and you need to turn from those things and, and get, turn away from the wickedness, and then to have turned towards God with faith towards God, because turning away from, from sin of itself will, will just be trying to do some sort of uh, exercise of, of modification of your behavior, but you need to have the Ruach, the Spirit of God, moving in you to bring you to where he wants you to be. And that's why you, you make the effort to turn away from your sin and you turn towards God. And that's what happens as you think about coming in a tabernacle. You're, you're coming in and the priests come out to meet you and you're, you're meeting God. And, and, they, and then after you have turned towards God, then you, you go through quite a number of washings. We talked about various washings for different sins and different things that were required in the tabernacle for or uh, if you, you've been involved in certain activity and you want to come back and worship God, there were certain washings you had to go through. There were certain washings that the priests had to go through before they entered into service before the Lord. Then we moved on to talking about laying on of hands. And we saw that also in the tabernacle, that the priests were involved in, in, in laying hands, especially at Yom Kippur that's coming up very soon. 
that the priest would represent all of Israel and he would lay his hands upon uh, an animal, a goat, and he would, it says when he, do, he would do that, he would confess all the sins of Israel over that, over that goat and that sin would be transferred to that animal. And that, one was taken out, one was sacrificed. We saw that when individuals, the whole book of Deuteronomy talks about individuals coming in, and Leviticus as well, coming in, and that if, uh, if the king, if the ruler, if even the common person is suddenly is brought to their attention that they had transgressed the commandment of God, they had sinned against God, that they had certain sacrifices to bring up for their sin. And one of the things they had to do was to lay their hands upon the animal. And that was that transfer of sin. We also know that laying hands was used for anointing, for, for bringing people into their position and authority as a king or a priest or for certain ministry. We saw that even in the apostolic writings, the, the laying on hands to receive the Holy Spirit, how laying on hands played a part in that as well. Uh, how laying on hands was used to impart gifts. Paul said, I'm coming to, to impart some gifts to you. And he would do that through impartation, through the laying on hands on someone. He writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you know, don't forget to stir up the gift that was given to you through the laying on the hands of the elders. And they lay hands and they say, Timothy, you have this gift. And he says, stir it up, stir it up. That, that comes in. So that's what we talked about. And so the next step, as you're going through this journey, is the resurrection of the dead. And that's what we want to talk about today. And I have a few things to say about it today. The first thing is, though, what does this mean, the resurrection of the dead? I mean, I, I, you know, let's start off with what it does not mean. It is not referring to the latest episodes of the zombies. You know, this is not, oh, the resurrection of the dead is playing at the movies. Let's go see it. You know, the zombie apocalypse, the zombies are coming back from the dead, the creature. That's not what it's talking about. So don't go getting your money together to see whether this movie is playing. This resurrection of the dead to see the latest zombies that are coming out to get you. That's not what it's talking about when it speaks of the resurrection of the dead. You know, they probably didn't think about that back then, but today, you know, that's very popular for a lot of people, zombies and all form of fashions, then they know it's the dead coming back alive, then maybe people thought that was the resurrection of dead, but it is not. It is not referring to the spirits of dead people coming as ghosts to you. That's not the resurrection of dead. It has nothing to do with spirits coming out and coming around your house and, and watching and guiding over you and moving and doing things. not dealing with that as well. That's not what the resurrection of the dead is all about. And a lot of people think that. A lot of people think resurrection of the dead is the spirit just being there. And go, oh, there we go. That, that, that's, he's been raised up as a spirit. But we're going to see that's not the case. It's not referring to coming back into this world as another person, an animal, or a thing. It's not reincarnation. And there have been people in history who believe that. There have even been people, some sects of Judaism, that believe the resurrection of the dead was dealing with reincarnation, that human beings would die and their soul would then come up in another person or animal or a creature over and over again. They call it transmigration is what it's referred to. And 
And for the American world, you know, we, we have a hard time believing you're coming back as a cockroach or a rat. So they don't push that here in America. What they push is, oh, you, 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 you used to be a prince or a king, and you've come back, and you got to go back and figure out that you used to be this great king, and now you're here, and you're supposed to discover that, and you paid a person a lot of money, and they, they, they divined this for you after you paid enough money that they, oh, yeah, you were Zulu king ruling, and this, that, and the other. You're, oh, okay. This is great. It's funny. I've never heard these groups, people who get into this, not ever have I heard anybody say, you know, I was a lowly servant serving somewhere. And, you know, they never do that. It's always their king or prince or something like that. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess if you paid a lot of money and they came back and said, well, we, we got news for you. We have divined that you used to be, you know, you, you, you were a lowly servant emptying the, the, the potty things out and you know, that's what you did, and that's, hallelujah, there you go, you know, but you don't hear that, but that's not what the resurrection of dead is all about, even though there have been sects in Judaism that teach that, in fact, some still today, some of the Hasidic sects teach that, but that's not what the scriptures teach, and we're going to let that unfold. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the resurrection of the dead, and it's very important. Now, the Greek word for resurrection literally means to stand up again, to rise up, to raise up. That's what it means. And, and, and then the word for dead in Greek means dead. <laughs> That's what it means. It means dead. It means a corpse. You're not alive. You're dead. So this, the one way of translating the resurrection of dead is the raising up of the dead, of the, of the corpse. Literally, the word that's used there means corpse. It's focusing on the body. Not your spirit, not your soul, but it's focusing on the body, and that's important. Now, before we get into some more details on that, why is the resurrection important? I, you know, I really prayed over and said, Lord, which way should I go with this? There's a lot of different ways I could go with this. And God quickened a few passages to my mind. I said, well, okay, I'll start with those. Why is this important? Why is it important? Well, I'll tell you a story, and then I'll read the scripture associated with it. When I was a student in college, and you've heard this before, and, and we had an outreach, and we were doing a lot of things, and, and the, the, the guy that was head of Hillel, which is a Jewish group on campus, didn't like a lot of the outreach we were doing to the Jewish community, so he figured out who the leaders in the group were, and I was one of them, and, so, and I was in charge of evangelism and outreach, so he invited me to the Hillel house to have a meal, and I can tell you, when you're a college student, and you can avoid cafeteria food and get a nice home-cooked meal, you do not turn it down. <laughs> You're like, oh, a nice Friday Shabbat meal? This is great. And we had a good time, and his, his family was there. I met them because they stayed there with him, and we got to talk, and, and, and then he went off into his study, and we began to talk a little bit about theology, and I was impressed with him. I mean, at, at, in those days, I was still learning a lot, and he had a lot of knowledge, and I was going, whoa, this guy has so much insight, and, and, he, and he was so knowledgeable, and he's a very sweet man, gentleman, and, and I responded. I kind of got lulled into a sleepiness, sleepy, sleepy state, just kind of like, oh, this is so good, this is so good, and he's going on and on trying to convince me that I go back to our group and we stop the outreach 
to the Jewish students on campus that Yeshua is the Messiah, that we would stop that and, and, and that it had recognized that all the spiritual groups on campus were really doing a good thing and we should honor them all, that the Muslims, that the, that the Buddhist group, the Hindu groups, that the ecumenical groups, that the, that the, the, the ascendant masters of Christ group. They had a group there that, that, that taught that. And we had all kinds of groups. We had meditation groups. You name it, at a college campus, GW is where it was. We had everything. And, and, we, and our group, though we knew there was a large Jewish population there, so we had a lot of material, and we had asked Beth Messiah congregation to help us to do this, we went after every group on campus. We, we, were, we were gracious to extend our harassment to everybody. We harassed everybody. We had materials. It didn't matter. You walked up, so I'm into transcendental medicine. We have books for that. Come here. <laughs> we talk. We didn't, it didn't matter what you were into. I'm an atheist. We got stuff for you, too. We, we wanted to reach the whole campus, but he was only concerned that, you know, we would stop and leave the Jewish group alone, but he was coming at a position, an angle of saying it didn't really matter that all the groups are trying to do good things. And on a general level, any religious group generally is trying to do good things. They want to make good people, right? And people could follow good rules. And so it's hard to argue against people about that. Hey, you know, the Buddhists say, well, we're trying to teach people the eightfold paths and how to get along. And okay, that sounds good. And, and even Islam has its principles. And this is what we want you to do and how you live your life. And it doesn't matter. Orthodox, conservative, reform, reconstruction, Judaism, all of every group out there, Hinduism, you name it, saying we're just trying to make better people. So why don't you accept that and just only focus on the people in your group and stop all this outreach to other groups. Leave them alone. And, you know, and he made sense because he was very intellectual. And, I'm like, and then he said these words. And I don't know how we got there, but somehow we got on a discussion about the resurrection of Yeshua. And he felt like saying, he just felt he had to tell me, Ralph, the resurrection doesn't matter. And when he did that, as I was maybe taking another bite of chicken or something, <laughs> I woke up, you know, like, whoa, hold on here. The Lord, the Lord likes it. Wake up. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I'm awake now. I'm awake, Lord. What? And he begins, you know, and I, again, then I said, Rabbi, all due respect. I said, I've enjoyed talking to you. I said, but the scriptures teach that if Yeshua was not raised from the dead, we are men most miserable, but we're lying on God and we're still dead in our sins. I say our faith centers around the resurrection of Yeshua and you're teaching something that is against God's word. And then we got into it and he tried to convince me, maybe talk for another 45 minutes. And then he stopped and he just kind of went, well, Ralph, I was hoping you would understand and see. And I said, well, I'm praying that the veil that covers your eyes will be removed, you know? And, and, and so I... I share that because this is the passage. 1 Corinthians 15 chapter, verse 12. Now, if Messiah is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Messiah is not risen. And if Messiah is not risen, then our preaching is empty. It's in vain. And your faith is also empty. It is in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Messiah, whom he did not raise up, 
if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, the Messiah is not risen. And if Messiah is not risen, your faith is futile. You are dead and you are still in your sins. And also those who have fallen asleep in Messiah, that's a euphemism meaning they died, have perished. It is this life only we have If in this life only we have hope in Messiah, we are of all men the most pitiful. If there is no resurrection of the dead, if there's no raising up of that corpse, of that body that's put in the ground, and we're going to see from Scripture that it is referring to the body, that if there's no resurrection, then we of all people are men most miserable. We're pitiful. Because our whole faith centers that God raised Yeshua from the dead. That is not something that's optional. This is, this is not an optional thing. This is foundational that Yeshua was raised from the dead. Our very salvation centers, that, centers on that Yeshua was crucified, buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. And if he was not raised from the dead, we are still in our sins, and we're going around making a line on God because we're saying God raised him from the dead, and if he didn't do it and the resurrection doesn't happen, we're liars. So that's the first reason why the resurrection of the dead is a foundational doctrine that we need to embrace and understand. It's so important. Now, I love the 20th verse that says, but now Messiah is risen from the dead and also has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And because of that, he will also make us alive. We're going to come back to some of this passage later because there's important things here that we need to learn. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, it also says in verse 32, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what vantage is it to me if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Hell is a guy I worked with for many years, and he's the atheist. Now, before I was a believer, I was a big atheist. I was heavy into that, and that took me off into other directions. So I know what that's all about. Been there, bought the T-shirt, everything, don't want to go back there ever again, know what it's all about, know the deception of it. But I always get people, and they find out, especially that I'm a pastor of a congregation of a Messianic Jewish congregation, I always get people who are atheists that I work with because I work in the science world. You know, I'm, I'm a software engineer. I got an electrical engineering degree. I actually got several science degrees. And I always get these guys, well, you're in the science world, and they're atheists, so they, their goal is to win me to atheism. <laughs> and so we have these great discussions. And this one guy for years, man, he tried and he tried and he tried. And, and then finally he came in one day. And, then, and what happened, we would do this during lunch break. And people would gather around to hear this guy and I go at it. We'd be on the board drawing stuff and arguing back and forth. And this time he came in and he put it out there. I got something for Ralph today. We're going to bring an end to this. He called me into his office. He had a very large office. A bunch of people came in. Oh, we're going to see this battle today. And so he began to go on and just really wanted to come to ridicule. He says, he says all I got to say to you, Ralph, is that this whole thing that you're getting into about 
about, about, he called him Jesus, about Jesus and, and, and the life and God and all that. You know, none of it's real. It's all made up in your head. And everybody said, ooh. He said, come on, you need to be more scientific. You need to know that, that you're just, it's just a crutch that you have. This is an emotional thing inside of you that makes you feel good. And, and I'm just landing on the line that that's what's going on. I'm calling you out. And he said, and all I got to say to you, he said, what are you going to do? When you die, you find all this energy and time you've put proclaiming this Jesus that it's, it's none of it's true. And everybody went, ooh. I mean, really, they, they actually did that. Ooh, yeah, ooh. And then they all looked at me, and I just waited a while, just kind of talking to the Father. What do you want me to say? And I was calm. I didn't blow up, and then I just sat there to say, Lord, what do you want me to say? And the Lord began to speak to me. I said, hmm. I said, well, let me say something to you. And I'll do it in a logical way. I won't even quote scripture at this point. I, it's all logic. Since you're arguing me logic, we'll use logic. I said, if you're right, let's assume for a moment that you're absolutely right. That when you die, that's it. You're dead as a nail. There's nothing else going on. You don't know anything. You come to non-existence. You don't live anymore. I said, let's assume that's true. And everybody said, okay, okay. He's coming along. We're, we're getting him. And I looked at him and I said, if you're right, here's the thing about it. I will never know and you will never know that I was wrong. And you were right. And he went, oh. And everybody said, oh, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I said, and they went, okay. And they were going to end. I said, hold it, though. I have a question. I have something to say to you. What are you going to do when you die and you find out that you're standing before the living God, as I've said to you, and you have to give an account, and he's going to remind you of this day that Ralph preached the gospel to you and you rejected it. What are you going to do? And everybody went, ooh. <laughs> and they even thought about themselves. So the thing about it, if there is no resurrection, that's why Paul says, that, hey, let's not even waste any more time. Let's close down shop. Let's go party somewhere. Let's just make the best of life because who knows, tomorrow we might die and that's the end of our lives, end of our energy. Why do we even go to a job? Why do we even try to teach morals? Let's just go out and do whatever we want to do. Just take somebody's wife, kill somebody, steal something. Why does it matter? We're all going to die. There'll be no account of it. See, if there is no resurrection, God can't be righteous. That blows people away. What do you mean? God can't be righteous if there's no resurrection. Because God doesn't bring the fullness of judgment in this life. And how can he be righteous if I killed this brother and there's no resurrection and then he's going to come back and say, Ralph, I'm going to pay for your pay. He's still dead. He lost all his years. Only in the resurrection, when, it, when everybody is raised up, and has to give account of the life that they've lived on this earth. Can God make even the stuff that Hitler did right? When the very people that he sought to destroy are standing there as the dry bones alive as a nation giving glory to God. 
You know, Ezekiel's not just looking at individual. He's talking about a whole nation coming back alive. And Hitler gets to look up like, what? I tried to wipe them out. Look at them. As many as the stars. I can't even number them all. Look at them. They're all raised up. And that lamb in the midst of them shining with glory. See, the resurrection is important to us. It's important to God. Because God has decided he's not meeting out all judgment in this world. He knows how to reserve the wicked. For the day of judgment, it says later on in the book of Hebrews, is appointed to each person to die and then the judgment. Everybody has to give account of the lives they live on this earth. And that's why that doctrine is so important. Because without it, you believe you can get away with sin. Because maybe you got away with it so far up until this day. Maybe you've gotten away with a lot of sin. Maybe you're sinning. Nobody knows your sin. But God does. And why he's not bringing conviction or judgment, I don't know. He might be long-suffering, as it says in Scripture, giving you an opportunity to repent. But the Scriptures tell us there's a place That God, it says in Thessalonians, that God will send strong delusion for those who continue to not believe the truth so that they will believe the lie. You say, would God do that? He did it with Pharaoh. He wouldn't let Pharaoh repent. He told Pharaoh straight out, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to harden your heart. Pharaoh thought he was the master of his own destiny. He could do what he wanted to do. He was in charge. He built Egypt. He is is very, in fact, Egyptian theology was that he is God. And he's thinking, I'm Pharaoh, I'm God. The true God said, oh, no, 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 no. I can do what I want to do. Oh, no, you can't. You can't even repent unless I grant it to you. See, that's scary. That is so scary. Some people say, does you ever meet people who say, you know, they, they know they need to get right. Yeah, I know I need, I'm not living right. I know I got to get right. But, you know, I just need to sow some wild oats. And as I get older, when I get older, then I'll settle down, come back to the church, come back to the synagogue, commit myself and live for God. And I look at people like that and say, you don't even know if the next second is promised to you. The next second, you may drop dead. Oh, didn't happen yet, but it might be the next one. You have no control of that. Who knows? Maybe the reason why you're so hardened to the things of God is that God has decided you're going into judgment. Because you've hardened your heart to his grace and his mercy. He said, oh, you think you're in charge? Watch this. I'm not going to let you come in. Now, some of us have a hard time with that. Well, God, God so loved the word he gave his only begotten son. Yes, he did. But to receive the benefits of that, you have to believe. God's already did everything to pay for every sin that's ever thought of in this earth. Yeshua was the ultimate sacrifice. But if people choose to exercise the, 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 to not exercise the faith, it says in Scripture, every man is given a measure of faith. Even atheists have a measure of faith. And if they choose not to exercise it, 
God will judge that. And if they harden their hearts against him again and again and again, I don't know where, I don't know when, you don't know where, you don't know when, but God has something. He says, you know what? Today is it. No more. You're going into judgment. We see that in the natural with Jerusalem. It got to a point, and, and they were getting ready to go into judgment, and, and, and Jeremiah's crying out, oh, God, they're your people. We're, we're your people. He identified with, we are your people. Have mercy. And God says, look, even if the patriarchs, even if Abraham, or any of them came to make a deal to say, hey, if they're 10 in the city, I will not turn. I will not relent. Jerusalem is going to fall and it's going into destruction. Nothing. So stop asking me about it. I don't want to hear it anymore. Just, just tell them it's coming. It's like Moses. I want to go in the promised land. I want to go to the promised land. Finally, God said, enough. I'll let you see it, but I already told you you're not going in. And it had to do with some unbelief stuff that you showed towards me when I've given you so much, and that's the choice I make. So we have a hard time understanding that this God who is full of grace and mercy is also a consuming fire. And that's why we got to take it seriously. We never take his grace for granted. And knowing that there's this resurrection of the dead, God ultimately, he will get the last word on every matter. So let's continue. In Scripture... Why is this important? Well, for a lot of reasons with the resurrection. Luke 18, 32, it says that, that Yeshua would be beaten, then he would be put to death, and on the third day he shall rise again. This is Yeshua. This is the Messiah. And it says he will rise again. That's the resurrection. In Acts 13, 30, it says God raised Yeshua from the dead. Acts 13, 34, he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to corruption. That's important to remember that. This is not talking about the thing of bringing life back to Lazarus. A lot of people say, well, look at Lazarus. He was raised up. There's a teaching that some people teach that, that even the resurrected will die again at some point. But notice here it says they will, he was raised up never to see corruption again. That, that other belief was being spelled out. The scripture saying that's not true. When it's the resurrection type of thing, that what changes in you and your body so that you will not die. You cannot die again. That's one of the things with the resurrection. We're going to see more of that later. Acts 17, 31. Part of the thing that he raised him from the dead, Yeshua, is that it gives assurance to men. Knowing that God raised the Messiah from the dead and that he's the first fruit gives assurance to you, first of all, that he's, his sacrifice and atonement was accepted, and number two, that there's a hope for you as well. Romans 4.24, it deals with being imputed righteousness. It says that those who believe in God who raised Yeshua, just as Abraham believed that God would raise his son, Isaac. That he had faith that even, God says, offer up your son. And he had come to a place that God could raise him from the dead. And because we believe that Yeshua was raised from the dead from God, it, it, it's through that that righteousness is imputed to us. 
God makes us righteous by believing that his son is the atoning sacrifice for sin and that God raised him up. It has nothing to do with you except that you trust God. It's no different than the children of Israel being out, walking around the wilderness, messed up with some sin. They were complaining and murmuring and God sent serpents, vipers to bite them. And so they're dying with these viper bites. Moses goes and intercedes as he always does. And God says, this is what I want you to do. Fashion a bronze serpent. Now come on, with our scientific minds, we're like, what has that got to do with viper bites? (laughs) Did you hear me, God? They're getting bitten with venomous snakes that are putting this poison and they're dying. And you want me to go out and fashion a serpent, a bronze one, and hold it up? What good is that going to do? Tell me, I mean, where do I cut into the skin and suck the, suck the poison out? Where do I get some, something for them to drink that will, you know, be an antidote to the poison? Where do I do that? What, what, I don't see how this works. But Moses was faithful. He took it. And God said, now raise it up and tell all of Israel that whoever looks to this serpent that's been put upon the tree, in a sense, hung up there, becoming a curse, that anyone who will look to that by God's word will be healed. Doesn't make any sense. But God, remember, everything God's doing, he sees the end from the beginning. So he's already thinking about the provision that he told Adam, way back at Adam. He's, oh yeah. He told him about the serpent and crushing its head and and, and it's biting at your heel and how he's going to bring one into the world that will bring redemption. God's been working this right from the beginning. I mean, Yeshua is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. It wasn't a second thought for God. From the beginning, he already had a plan for salvation. And so he even worked that throughout Scripture. He worked it through his prophets. He worked it through people. And now he's working it through Moses to a natural example so that the people would know that when this one who became sin was held up and lifted up and you put your confidence and trust in that, you will be saved. Doesn't make sense. But it makes faith. It's all about trusting what God says. So he comes along later and he takes his son, he nails him to the tree, he's crucified, he's lifted up, and says, whoever looks to him will be saved. He said, I planned that way back with Moses. And so you, you see this, this, this thing moving along, this, this thing of this, this whole idea of resurrection and life that comes. In Romans, the eighth chapter, verse 11, it says that, it speaks of a parallel that those who, who put their confidence in Yeshua in a sense married to him and being married to him, they are married to the one who was raised from the dead, it says in Romans 8.11, that you are to bring forth fruit to life by now not being married to the law but married to Yeshua who was raised up, who was high and above and he gives life to you to bring forth fruit and that fruit is not disobedience to Torah but obedience to Torah. A lot of people get that confused in the Christian world. They think with Yeshua coming, you can now break all the commandments of God because you have Jesus. Well, I agree with you that if you sin against God, Jesus is the one that you're going to get imputed righteousness from. Yeshua is the one that provides that. But he didn't only come to impute righteousness to you. 
He came to change you, give you a new heart, a new spirit, and make you a new person so that you will walk in the newness of life and that the righteous requirements of Torah, Romans 7, would be fulfilled in your life. Not just on paper. Not just in your theological statement. But people will see you starting to walk. People who knew you before and now know you later, like, man, you've changed. I remember you used to do this, that, and the other. Your speech has changed. Your actions have changed. You know, the way you treat your, your spouse has changed. Everything you're doing, it's all changed. You're for God. And what happened? And you say, Yeshua happened. Yeshua happened. That's what happened. It says in Romans 10, 9, that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. What do you believe? That God raised Yeshua from the dead. The resurrection is central here. Galatians 1.1, Paul, all the time, he's writing this letter. He goes, oh, yeah, this is Paul the apostle. What's happening? This, that, and the other. And I give greetings to you from the Father who raised the Yeshua from the dead. Ephesians 1.20 is very special. Basically, it says the same power that he used in work to raise Yeshua from the dead works in you. Same power. Think about that. Think about the power it takes to raise a body from the ground that's dead. Dead as a doornail. Raised up. And that same power, the Holy Spirit, works inside of you towards the will and the purpose of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says that we wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead. The resurrection of the dead and most of Judaism is central. In Orthodox Judaism, Maimonides' principles of faith, the 13th one says that you believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, scholarship would go in and they argue about what did he really mean by that and, and did he have issues about the immortality of his soul and, and all these other arguments because the, there, were, there were two issues here, the immortality of the soul of the dead and the resurrection of the dead, two separate things, but both important. We're going to bear that out as well. But he believed in that. Nemonides made it very clear that he believed in the resurrection of the dead. And he took issues with Maimonides because Maimonides taught that even he, that he said, oh, yeah, there's going to be a resurrection. But after a while, he felt that the resurrection bodies would, would die too and people would die again. And Nemonides said, you're wrong. You might be the Rambam, and you may know all this stuff, but you're wrong here. And he wrote tons of papers against him saying, you're wrong on this. In fact, in Orthodox Judaism, the basic belief is that there is a resurrection of the dead. In the Talmud, Sanhedrin 90a says, but the following have no portion therein, speaking of the world to come. He who maintains that the resurrection is not a biblical doctrine. That's what the Talmud teaches. If you don't believe the resurrection is a biblical doctrine, you, you have no place in the world to come. God's gonna, not going to bring you into that, that world. The whole thrust in the Talmud on Ezekiel, the commentary on Ezekiel 37, Sanhedrin 92b, talks a lot about the resurrection of the whole nation of Israel. The whole thing of the dry bones is, is talking about a whole nation being raised. But they're not looking at just people being revived that are already alive. They're talking about the bodies and bones in the ground coming alive again and the nation being resurrected. 
Now, sadly, Reformed Judaism has dropped the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe that anymore. They do believe in the immortality of the soul. They think there's another world that you go off to and everything, but they reject the idea of the actual resurrection of the body. So do some of the other branches of Judaism. Messianic Judaism embraces the resurrection of the body, absolutely. The resurrection is central. Take, take for example, every week we read these words. The second blessing of the um, Amidah, the Shemona Esrei. You, Lord Almighty, forever. You raise the dead, you are mighty to save. You sustain the living with grace. You resurrect the dead with abundant mercy. This is said in every Orthodox synagogue everywhere. These, this is what is being said. The Reform have changed these words. Uphold the falling, falling, heal the sick, set free those who are in bondage, and keep faith for those that sleep in the dust. Who is like you, master of mighty deeds? Who can compare to you? King who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout. You are faithful to resurrect the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who resurrects the dead. Sounds like Judaism believes in the resurrection of the dead. One of the prayers that are said in the morning by those in the Orthodox community is Elochai Neshama. That's the soul, Shama's soul. The soul that you have given to me is pure. You say this as you wake up in the morning. It's part of the morning prayers. You created it, you created it, you formed it, you breathed it into me, you keep my body and soul together. One day you will take my soul from me to restore it to me in life eternal. So long as this soul is within me, I acknowledge you, Adonai, my God, my ancestors. God, master of all creation, sovereign of all souls. Praise are you, Adonai, who restores the soul to the lifeless body. There's this idea of, of God bringing the soul and spirit, back, taking that and putting it back in the body as he raises the body up and restoring. Now, the funny thing with Scripture is that as you start at Genesis and you walk through, God didn't necessarily reveal everything to everybody because they were dealing with the issue at the moment. Just like some of us, we're dealing with the issue at the moment, and we may not know. That's why sometimes when you go eating at different places, understand what I'm saying here? Like, Ahavat Yeshua is at a certain place that God has brought us on a certain teaching, to teach certain things, to bring us all on a certain page. And it's not that you can't go listen off to other teachings, but if you do that too much and not stay where we are, you get off into other things that God is not taking us there yet. Or we were there a year ago, <laughs> and we moved on to other things, and then you want to go back to something that we're not doing right now because that's not where God wants us. So God brings certain teachings for the community to strengthen it. Then he brings the next teaching and the next thing. doesn't mean that the other teachings are wrong. It's that, that there's this time and place for teaching and learning and growing and the community. I had a friend one time, I used to laugh. Uh, we, we were all, in those days, you know, McDonald's was a big restaurant that was around. We were a little kid. Ronald was cool. He was everywhere. And, 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 and other places came out. A lot of you don't know this place. It doesn't exist anymore. And it was Burger Chef. You remember Burger Chef? <laughs> and, and a bunch of us were going out to eat, and one of the people with us did not want to eat at McDonald's. So they went over to the Burger Chef and brought some food and brought their Burger Chef bag into the McDonald's. And the McDonald's people didn't like that too much. 
with them a big Burger Chef bag sitting at McDonald's. And they actually came up and said, uh, excuse me, are you going to order anything here? Because what you have there is not part of what we do here. And they didn't like the idea you're advertising the competition in our place. So there's a timing in place when things happen. And, and so just be aware of that. And so as God was moving with his people, he's dealing with certain things. And over time, he began to reveal things to them. Like, like look how many years went by from, from after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden to hearing about the Sabbath. I mean, I'm sure Adam and them talked about it. But it takes all the way up to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. The God goes, oh, by the way, the Sabbath I've been keeping all along the way, I want you to keep it too. He didn't reveal it to them I mean, for years. Abraham, I didn't, he didn't reveal it is to them. Then he reveals it to them. So there's a revelational thing to, to the scriptures where God begins to unfold things you can see with your eyes to begin to explain to you the things that are happening in the spirit realm. And right now, like even now, I mean, on, even in the natural, we know that, right? Right now, we do all understand that there are radio waves, TV waves, and everything in this room right now. Bouncing off the walls all over the place. And there are even waves that are smaller than that that can pass right through your body. And that's right now. You got stuff going right through your body. Right through it. Oh, did you see it? Did you feel it? <laughs> well, it's so small you don't feel it. You need special equipment to discern it. I mean, I see WMAL bouncing off your head right now. <laughs> it's just bouncing off your head. Boom. Today, report, news at the hour, <laughs> traffic. <laughs> it's just bouncing right off your head. With special equipment, you can pick it up and you can see it. You can get equipment that you can see the waves and how they're moving. It was the same thing with the spirit world. There are things in the spirit world that are happening. There are angels in here right now. And sadly, there might even be demons in here. Some of you may bring, hopefully not, but maybe you got a demon that's hanging out with you. If you're trying to get free of something, you tried everything you know how, and you're not getting free, it might be time to have somebody take a little closer look. It may have been something that's attached itself to you and say, I have a right to be here. And somebody who can discern spirits and say, you got to get out of here. We're not going to allow you here. Because, oh, but we're in, a, we're in a church. How can a demon come into a place like this? Yeshua walked into the synagogue, and demons acted out when he walked in. People probably never seen that happen before. Why is Shlomo acting like that? He, he's been in the, in the synagogue all his life, and this guy, Yeshua, walks in, and now he's, he's screaming at him. What, what's going on? Well, there was a spirit that nobody could see that was there all the time. There's stuff in the, in the spirit room we can't see. Not to be afraid of it. We just need to hang on to Yeshua, and we'll be okay. Stay with him. So overall, there's a walk of Scripture where there's a hint that begins to develop in the Tanakh, for those from the Christian world, the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, that God begins to unfold that this world is not all there is. There's something else going on. And you kind of should have understood that from the beginning because, you know, you knew there was God who created all things, yet you don't see him running around, and yet... You, he, he appeared and he talked a couple of times and he came in glory a few times. And I'm like, okay, there, there's somewhere God's hanging out where we can't see him. But he's there. 
And every once in a while, he manifests in the physical, where with your physical eyes and ears, you can hear. But if you learn to walk in the spirit, you can hear him all the time in the spirit. Because God is spirit. He speaks spirit. Now, he can manifest in the physical realm and let you hear through the ears and all that. That's cool. That's all right, too. A lot of us want that. I just want him to appear to me. Why do you want to go on a lower level of transmission? Really? Why do you want to have this other thing? And those of us in software and know about transferring stuff, why do we want something else in between? I mean, if God is spirit, don't you want to do what the scripture says, that his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are his child? Why do you need him to appear and say, you're, you're my child? Why do you want to come on a lower level of transmission? Why do you want to go back to DSL when he's talking files? Think about it. Come on now. We need to get our spirit man hearing better. And learn to walk with him in the spirit on a daily basis. And he'll direct you and guide you. And he'll speak to you and lead you. And if he chooses to manifest, you go, that's cool. That's cool, God. You manifested right there in physical. But boy, I'm going to tell you, once you start hearing more on the spirit, you don't, you don't need the physical thing. You just don't. You really don't. Because your spirit's like, mm, I'm just picking this up. You know, you're like an FM receiver, just picking it up. Anyway, let's move on. So, we read in Scripture some hints. I want to read some hints to you. Genesis 25, 8 with Abraham. Genesis 25, 17 with Ishmael. Genesis 35, 29 with Isaac. Genesis 49, 33 with Jacob. Deuteronomy 32.50 with Moses. Deuteronomy 32.50 with Aaron. 2 Kings 22.20 for Josiah. It, taught, it uses a phraseology that's interesting. That it says, and they died and they were gathered to their people. Strange. What do you mean? And they died and they were gathered to their people. Well, that was a hint. I mean, even David realized that when he's praying for the child to live, and after they came and said the child died, and they, and they saw him get up and anoint his face and go worship God, and they thought he lost his mind. I mean, you were over there interceding that God would let the child live, and, and you were weeping and crying and all that. Now we tell you the child's dead, and then you anoint your face and go in and worship God. Hallelujah, Lord, we praise you. I worship you. He's doing the, the Davidic dance. He's just worshiping God, and they're going, he's lost it. And one of them was bold enough to say, hey, what was going on? He said, well, well the child was still alive, you know. You know, God may have changed his mind concerning what he said, and I was just hoping for that. But he obviously has not. And he says these words, I will go to him, but he will not come to me. And he wasn't speaking in some sort of like, well, I'm, I'm going to kick the bucket. I'm going to die. No, he had an expectation. I'm going to go where this child, I'm going to be gathered there. So that was the hint that people understood that they're worshiping a God who's not made of physical things, but he lives in the spirit world. So they started to understand there must be another world other than what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. There must be something else that exists. I mean, even in the natural realm today, we have equipment to see things that 100 years ago, they didn't have that equipment to see certain waves and electrons and, 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 and all the stuff that you can dig down. I mean, the first time I was in college and had to go in and got to use the electronic 
microscope and just taking a little water and going boom and you know and just seeing stuff that was unbelievable. I would look at the screen and I'd look back at the water and look at the screen. I don't see those things with my eyes, but they're there. And then you get on a deeper level where you begin to actually see things that you just cannot pick up with the naked eye. So it's slowly being revealed. Job had a lot of insight into these things. Let's see, let's find Job. Job 14. We all know the story of Job. Job went through hell, man. It was rough. Everything was poured out on him, and he was a righteous man. None of us want to be a Job. We're like, no, 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 no. You know, and the thing about Job, God recommended him. Somebody says, go, God, please don't recommend me for anything. Please don't. Because God's the one, you know, Satan comes on the scene. Hey, where you been? Oh, I've been up and down, running around, doing all this kind of stuff and everything. Have you considered my servant Job? You know, right there, some of you are like hiding in back. And God says, have you? You're like, oh, my goodness. Hopefully he didn't see me. Just like we did with Peter. Hey, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Then ask for any of the rest of them. Just ask for Peter. And God says, I'm going to let him have you. Just like with Job. He asked Job, okay. Well, in Job's case, God recommended Job. That's even tough. How many of you want to be so close to God that he recommends you? <laughs> Somebody's going, hmm, thank you, Lynn, for saying right away, without hesitation. Yep. Whatever you want, Lord, I'll go through it. I'll take it. I'll run through it. I don't care. You, you know me well enough that you're saying, yeah, I'm going to put all this stuff on you because I know you know how to walk it out in glory. Crazy stuff. People don't like to hear this, but, you know, there it is. But Job 14, verse 13, Oh, that you would hide me in the grave in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? So Job's thinking about this thing. He's realizing that must be something. I, I got all this stuff on me. I got these diseases, boils and everything. I'm, I'm going to die, but maybe there's something more. Well, he gives the answer. Turn over to Job 19. I love this. It's a good song. For I know my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed... This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. What? When my skin, my body is all destroyed, but I know he had come to place to believe that there was something more and that he would be raised up and that he would see God in his flesh, in his body, he would see God. Not as a spirit floating around. Oh, I see God. I'm with God now. I got my little wings. I'm floating around. This is great. No, he says, no, I'm going to see him in my flesh. This is important stuff. So God begins to, to slowly reveal these things. Isaiah 26 and 19, speaking to Israel and the people who are going through certain trials and tribulations, and he tells them and exhorts them there that they will be raised up. That God would raise them up to fulfill the promise that is spoken to them. 
And of course, the biggest one of all is Daniel 12 too, that just comes out, no more playing around with it, and says that in the last days, there will be a resurrection of the dead, of the body. He says, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting condemnation. Both are raised, the righteous and the wicked will be raised. Daniel 12, too. It's interesting, but the Sadducees, as Linda always liked to say, they were sad, you see. I first met her, she said, well, you know, she used to be the Shabbat school teacher, and that's what she would tell the kids. Well, you know, the Sadducees, they were sad, you see, because they did not believe there's a resurrection. In Matthew, they give a, they, since they did not believe there was nothing else beyond this world, they tried to trap Yeshua, and they make up a scenario that says, according to Torah, if you of a, of a man and he's got his wife and the wife doesn't give him a male child to carry a seat on, that a brother who's not married had a responsibility to take her as his wife and raise a child up after his brother's name. And so they made up a scenario. So there were seven brothers. <laughs> like, come on, God. Right away, if you ever out somewhere and somebody says, look, I got something to say to you. There were seven brothers. You know, okay, this, this is not an honest question. This is not an honest question. And he goes, and the wife married that one, then this one, and this one. They all died, and they married seven. Then she died without having any children, and the question was asked, whose wife should she be in the resurrection? Are you sure we got you? Hey, we got you now. So let's read that. Matthew 22. Verse 23, the same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him saying, teacher, Moses says that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there was with us seven brothers. Like, okay, here we go. Now there were, and the first died after he had married having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second, also the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Yeshua asked and said to them, you are mistaken. That's a nice way of saying, you don't know at all what you're talking about. You missed this. You don't understand it. You are really blowing it. You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So he teaches us something about the resurrection. As much as we love the institution of marriage here and God has established, uh, especially among believers, to be a rep- representation of Messiah's love for, for the body, because that's supposed to be what's worked out between a man and a woman, a man laying his life down for his wife, caring for her, making her first, she willingly submitting to that, and that shows the relationship of Yeshua to the body of Messiah. That's part of what believing marriages should reflect. And so, but in the resurrection, uh, now y'all, you're not all going to have little houses with your children running around and everything. In the resurrection, you know, that's, 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 that they're not given in marriage in the resurrection. So there'll be a change here. That's why the scriptures let us know now that we are brothers and sisters so that we will understand that concept in the resurrection, that we are brothers and sisters, right? And he says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven who do not marry. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, 
I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Yeshua is dealing with a couple of things. One, the resurrection of the dead. But see, you got to understand the Sadducees didn't even believe in the immortality of the soul. That when you die, you die, that's it, you cease to exist. So Yeshua is correcting them on both sides. You don't know concerning the resurrection. And also, do you not read in Scripture when God speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who've been dead for a very long time, that he says, I am the God of Abraham? I am. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham because he's dead. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob, of Yaakov. God is not the God of the dead, but the living. He's correcting the, the Sadducees with one stroke on the resurrection, saying, no, 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 there is a life that exists even outside of your body. And I know there are groups today in Christian circles, some teach soul sleep, some teach annihilation, but Orthodox Judaism and Messianic Judaism and all that's flowed along and Yeshua himself understood that death in this world, physical death, is the release of your spirit and soul from your body. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5th chapter that you are spirit, soul, and body. And if you're going to understand death, you have to understand it on all three levels or you won't get it. In some ways, it's put like this, and I like the way this is put. You are a spirit. You have a soul. That's your emotions, your intellect, your thinking. You live in a body. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter. He goes, he says, oh, there's coming a time that I must put off this tent. When he's speaking about this tent, he's not talking about a tent he carried around with that he set up to live in, but he's taking the concept of a tent. A tent is something you live in. He's saying his body was like a tent, and there's coming a time that he knew one day he would have to put the tent away, and he was going to leave that tent. He was going to depart from it, make a departure from this body. And so the spirit and soul has some level of existence apart from the body, not the fullness of what God wants for us, but there's not a annihilation of things. Here's one of the reasons why. We're going to look at this. Oh, I'll wait till we get there. We almost get there. I know time is running out, but let me see if I can get there real quickly. In Luke 20, 36, he says again, neither can they die anymore for they are like the angels. He adds to that story. He gives a little bit more insight that those who are raised up, they cannot die anymore. Maimonides, you were wrong. He was wrong. And those who taught that were wrong. Yeshua made it very clear that when the resurrection comes, ain't no more physical death for you. Okay? Because there's a change that takes place in the body. In Acts 23, 6 to 8, you can read it at your leisure, Paul is on trial. And while he's on trial, he realizes that in the room were Sadducees and Pharisees. And he made a smart move. He's like sitting there and he's, they're ready to tear him apart. And he goes, well, let me speak. Oh, you can speak. Go ahead and speak, Paul. He says, I'm on trial here for the resurrection of the dead. And immediately, the Pharisees who wanted him dead changed their mind. We are for his guy because the Sadducees, no, there's no resurrection. He needs to be destroyed. And the Pharisees, no, no. And the Pharisees and Sadducees started fighting and Paul's just sitting back watching the fight. Like, okay. Because the Pharisees strongly believed in the resurrection of the dead and Yeshua confirmed that they were right in their belief. And the Sadducees were wrong. 
Turn over to the Gospel of John. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit of some of my notes. Gospel of John. Ooh, second chapter, I think it is. Second chapter, Gospel of John. Let's see if that's the one. Yes. So Yeshua's there. He cleanses the temple and deals with things about profiling the temple. In verse 18, it, it said that the Dan Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us that since you are doing these things? He went in and overturned the money changes and all that. And Yeshua answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then they said to him, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. That settles it. The resurrection is not about your spirit and your soul. Your spirit and soul is not non-existent. God needs to raise it up. The resurrection is about the body. Yeshua said, destroy this temple, this physical body. And he was referring to the crucifixion. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now think about this. If Yeshua, who is the God-man, but he takes on full humanity. And as some groups say, there are certain groups out there like the Jehovah's Witness who, who say that Yeshua ceased to exist when he died. And God, God took the body and turned it into gases and then gave him a different body. I mean, I got some weird doctrine on that. But that's what they teach. But you know what? They should really think about it. Because Yeshua says, I will raise it up. I will raise it up. Now, if he ceased to exist and turned to vapor and there was no more of him, how did he raise up his body? How did he raise it up? He said, I will raise it up. You destroy the body and I will raise it up. See, the scripture speaks of the spirit raising him from the dead. The scripture speaks of the father raising him from the dead because it's God and God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and they're all involved in the work that they do. There's not any separation there between work. They work together as perfect unity in them. But I want you to see that the resurrection is all about the body. In Acts 2.31, it talks about Yeshua and it quotes from the Psalms that his soul will be not left in hell and he will not see corruption, but he will be raised up. And people thought they referred to David and referred to Messiah and then the author of Acts is saying this is about the Messiah. Yeshua was raised up. His body was raised up. David's body wasn't raised up. We see his tomb to this day. But Yeshua, on the third day, his body was raised up. Acts 26, 23 says, Messiah will be the first to rise from the dead. I love that. That it doesn't say he's the only one, but he's the first. He's the first fruit. That means there's more to come. In John 5th chapter, Yeshua says this, verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is not a new thing. Daniel talked about it in 12.2. Isaiah talked about it in 26.19. Paul repeats it in Acts 24, 14 to 15 when he's standing before the governor, Felix, and he says, I'm here concerning the resurrection. 
Acts 26, 8, Paul before King Agrippa, he says, why do you think it's incredible that God should raise the dead? It's interesting that even Martha, concerning her brother, Lazarus, when they were looking for Yeshua to save him because he was sick, and he died, and she says, if you were here, this is in John 11, if you were here, he would not have died. And then Martha says, and Yeshua says something about him rising again. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Martha says, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. See, it was well established in Judaism that there would be this resurrection on the last day. But then Yeshua says something very powerful. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection life. Believe on me. You don't need to wait to the last day. I'm getting ready to do something with him right now. Now, it wasn't a full resurrection because he received just a body that just was revived and it died again. But with the resurrection, there's a transformation of that body. When Yeshua was raised from the dead, it wasn't the same old you know, corpse from the zombies walking around, I'm back alive, you know, and crumbling along and walking everything. No, this new, this body that was transformed, you know, it is made. It's the same seed, but it's changed so much that even when you got doors, you're in a room and everything's locked up, he appears in the midst of, of you and says, Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. And then when one of them says, I don't know about this, maybe it's just a spirit, I don't believe it, he says, come in, touch me. A spirit does not have flesh and blood. Look, there's the wounds, there they are. Come and touch me. Give me some fish, I'll eat it. Spirits don't eat fish. Spirit don't need fish. They don't need fish food at all. So he's showing that the very body was raised up. And sometimes it concerns me in the body of believers that we've lost the hope of the resurrection. We are so happy to talk about going to heaven that we forget there's another big stage along the way, which is the resurrection of your body. People have a hard time believing that. Don't worry. You're in line with the Greeks. When Paul was at Maul's Hill uh, and he was in Athens and he began to preach and they were listening to what he preached. And when he got to the point of saying, and the resurrection of the Messiah, they said, oh, oh, we don't want to hear it. Because the Greeks already believed that there was something that existed beyond. But the idea that the body could be raised, oh, no, that's an impossibility. And we wrestle with that. People say, well, you know, his body surely has decayed by now. So? God knows where all the elements are. I don't care if you're in a plane and it blew up. God knows where the elements are. You, they're not destroyed. They, they may be in a form that you and I can't figure out that it's the body, but God knows. It might be floating in the air. But God can take those parts that made that body and raise it up into a glorified body. But understand, he's not giving you a new body that has no connection to the body he's giving you. Because then that would not be the resurrection of the dead. That would be giving you another body and just putting your spirit and soul in it. No, he's going to take the very elements that made your body, wherever they may be, wherever they are, and he's going to raise it up and he's going to transform it to be a body that's spirit, spirit energized, not soulishly energized, not of the earth but made like the Yeshua. And that's what you do. Look to Yeshua. Say, hey, I don't know what the resurrection is like. And that's the truth. We don't. We have no idea what we will be like. But the scripture says, we will be like him. So you know what I did? I started studying Yeshua's resurrection. What was he like? 
That's he could eat. He could be touched. He could also just move from one place to another like that. Because he wasn't limited by a physical body, but this physical body now has been energized with the spirit that's not kept and held in one place, but can be transformed and moved from one place to another. I'm looking forward to that body. But in a lot of Christian circles, we're so content to go to heaven. And I hear it. I hear it in this congregation. Yes, James, in this congregation. Seasoned saints. They're set up under the teaching for years. But then when somebody dies, well, I'm so happy they're in a better place. That's it. That's all they think about. They're in a better place. They're happy now. They have reached the end of their life. And now they're in heaven walking the streets of gold. And then we make up stories. And they mean well. There was a pastor when my father passed, and he, he was doing the ceremony, and he got up there. You know, my father was known for organizing and structuring things, and he went on, and he says, and you know, and Joe Finley's up there in heaven now, and arranging the angels, and put them in order, and everything. I'm like, oh, my goodness. No, he's not. He's waiting for the resurrection of his body. He's waiting for that body to be raised up. He's like those ones in the book of Revelation. How long, oh Lord, must we sit here? Gave them a little glory clothes, some white garments to, to show they were clothed in the spiritual realm. And they said, how long must we be up here? You must wait. Others are going to join you. Why? Because there's coming a point in time when the resurrection will take place. Where the dead and Messiah will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to be with him. Don't you know that in early Christian teaching, you know why they had cemeteries around the church? Not because they wanted a spooky place for Halloween. Because they believed in the resurrection. They weren't scared of funeral. I mean, having gravestones around. They, every time they look, there's Aunt Susan, there's my great aunt, and one day that trumpet's going to sound, and they're coming out of that ground. That body's going to be transformed. People say, well, surely they decayed by now. I said, that's God's business. I don't have to keep track of my father's and mother's remains, where they may be, what, they've, what state of decay they're in. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not even concerned about that. God knows where every little element every little thing that is in them. Even if the worms have gotten it there and eaten it up and decay, doesn't matter. God knows where those things are. I said, well, God, you're able to raise the dead. We said every week, you raise the dead. It says, you are faithful for those who sleep in the dust. You don't forget about them. You know where they are. He definitely knows where their spirit and soul are. Which, yes, is in the presence of the law. Paul, Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, yes, when you die, you go in God's presence. But that's not the end of the journey. We should be saying, hey, 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 I heard so-and-so died, and they knew the Lord. Where did they put the body? It's like, we know it's going to be raised up. Why do you think in Judaism the body is so precious and important when somebody dies? Why you don't just take the body and throw it in a ditch? Why in Judaism they won't even allow you to embalm the body? Why? Because they understood that the body is holy, given by God, and it's the thing that God's going to use to raise up, to put the spirit and the soul back inside. So the body's washed and taken care of because it's a seed that's planted in the ground that God will raise up.
The resurrection is about the body. Yeah, it sounds foolish to people, but that's what we're preaching. We're preaching that Yeshua was raised from the dead, not some spiritual being. See, some people accept that. Well, y'all believe that Yeshua's like a spirit being now. He's born. No, his very body that was put in the tomb was raised up. And you're going to be raised up. You're going to be raised up. Your body's not going to be forgotten and forsaken. God knows where it is. He's going to raise it up. He said, well, how does he do it? I'm going to take a little bit more time. Worship team can uh, start back. 1 Corinthians. I said we we're going to go back there. The Lord just reminded me. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? How does God do it? 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, you can sit down now. Verse 35, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. Don't ever ask that question. If you don't want God to call you a foolish one, don't ask that question. And, and, you know, the sense is it's not, it wasn't a real question. It was like a contempt. So how are the dead raised? It's an attitude. Because so you, you don't say that with a real question. You know, when, when people come to you with a real question, you don't treat them like that. But when you know they got attitude, you answer accordingly. Right? See, it's interesting. There's a proverb that says, answer a fool to his folly. And the other one says, don't answer a fool to his folly. I say, well, which one is it? It's both. Sometimes they're so foolish that, you know, you don't, you don't give any credence to it. You ignore it. You don't give it any weight. It's dumb. It's stupid. But then sometimes you respond to a question in a way to make, show clearly that the question's foolish. It's interesting. But anyway, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you, have, what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as it pleases him, and to each seed its own body, because it comes out of the ground. So you put a weed in, and this plant comes up. It's not that you put the weed in, the seed in, the wheat, and then God removes that and put a plant there. You get this? That's not how it works. You, you, put, you put wheat in the ground, the wheat you get to see came forth from that seed. It's a different body than the seed that you planted. Okay? God, God didn't remove the seed and then take a wheat plant and go, boom. Some people think it's that way because they read this. The guy gives us a body as it pleases him. See, where God just gets rid of the other one and puts another body. No. He's saying he plants a seed and it comes forth from the seed. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but that same body is raised in incorruption, there's a transformation that takes place. It is sown in dishonor, but that same body is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness, but that same body is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. Now, you got to see how this word's used. The word for body is soma. It means physical thing. When he says natural body, meaning that its life came from the natural things. That body was just only natural. It's still a body, but it's, it, it gets its life from nature and natural things. But when it's raised, that body that you have now will get its life from the spirit. It's spiritualized in a sense. It doesn't become a spirit. So that's what people get at stake. Well, when you're raised, you raise the spirit. No, your body is raised and it's given spirit. Watch what it goes on to say. The first man was of the earth. Because he says in verse 46, however, oh, let's go back some. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural. And afterwards, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are made of dust. And is the, as is the heavenly man, so are also those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say to you, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. There has to be a transformation of that body. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. That body has to be changed from corruption to incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's some people that will never see physical death. Some people will never see it. God will change you. He will take your living body. You'll be walking along. And he won't have to let it die. He'll just transform the same transformation that's going to take place with bodies that were dead. He can transform your living body right there on the spot. And that's what he says. Because these living bodies are corruptible. Stop feeding it and watch what happens to it. Just watch. It, it, don't, it don't last. Try it. Try not eating for about five weeks. See what happens to your body. It won't last. It's got to eat. It's got to need, you know, material. And, and given enough time, a lot of people are afraid to talk about this, but given enough time, if the Lord tarried 100 years, pretty much all of us will be dead. Some might live a little bit longer. Maybe we got some to go 100. Maybe the, some of the five-year-olds in here will live to 105 or 10. But, you know, but if he definitely tarries 200 years, I, I, I think I'm pretty good on track to say all of us will be dead. We don't like to think of that. But death is on the horizon. The only thing else is on the horizon is say, oh, Lord, Yeshua, come quickly so I don't even have to see death, that I'm already in my body and you transform me right on the spot. That's kind of the way I want to go. You know, I want to be preaching and just transform right there on the spot. Be like, oh, whoa, I'm in glory. This is great. <laughs> you know, just, did I so walk with God? It's like Enoch, he just takes me. Some of us in this room may experience that. Behold, I tell you, mystery shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. See, this is talking about the body. I'm talking about the soul and spirit. 
and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Not in vain. See, we have this great hope set before us. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Messiah will be caught up first. See, somebody that wrote to the Thessalonians and spread a rumor. The resurrection is past already. And everybody got worried. Oh, no, my loved one, I didn't, this, the bodies are still in the ground. They missed the resurrection. They're going to be left here. Paul had to write and say, no, 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 don't, don't believe that lie. See, the tongue at the sound of the shofar, the last trump. When that shofar blows, then the dead in Messiah will be raised first. And we who are alive and remain, and there will be some believers alive and remain at the blowing of that shofar will be changed like that. I want to be one of those. I mean, I'm not worried one way or the other. If I got to go the way of the, the grave and the burial, y'all give me a nice service, you know, say some nice things about me, play some music, dance, celebrate, worship before God, hey, you know. But don't just say, oh, he's in a better place. Say, oh, no, no, he's up there saying, when do I get my body? I'm always saying, excuse me, you know, in between worshiping, excuse me, when do I get my body? I, I want my body. You promise that you raised it up. When's it going to happen? Ralph, wait, wait, rap, rap. Here, here's a sheet. Just wait, just wait. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I'm not worried one way or the other. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of it at all. I know God got, has me. He's got me. He's going he's to do what he's going to do. I, w- I would just like to just, you know. LAUGHTER you understand? Many of you like me too. You know, you like, you know, you know, just, just kind of walking with them and, you know, that transform. That would be wonderful. I, I, right, Laura? That's cool. That's good for you too? She said that would work. That would work. That, that, you know, as the country folks say, that, that dog will, will, will hunt. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, let me give you one more thing, and then we'll close up. Let me see if I have cover everything. Trump of God, we talked about that. We talked about people thinking the resurrection happened already. Paul got mocked, Acts 17, verse 16 to 32. They mocked him as soon as he talked about the resurrection. People will mock you today. You start talking about you really believe that the body would be raised up. People will ridicule you. You're like, you kidding me? But that is our hope. That is the promise of the Scripture that the body will be raised up. And that is our hope. That's where we have our confidence that Yeshua was raised up and we will be raised up too. So the next time you're at a funeral of a believer and somebody says, oh, they're in a better place. He says, well, yeah, they're in the presence of the Lord, but know for sure That God will, God will raise that body up. 
So treat it carefully. A lot of believing people have slipped away of seeing the importance of treating the body as holy and looking for convenience and other things. But, but I think that we need to follow the example of Orthodox Judaism and see that the body is important and to be, know that it's special and make sure that it's treated right. Don't just throw the body in a backyard somewhere. Those who believe in Yeshua. Now, one last thing to remind you. Everybody will be raised up, whether righteous or wicked. Everybody gets raised. Even the atheist, even the atheist guy, he's going to be raised one day. He's going to have to give account of his life. That's the truth of the matter. Doesn't, you don't have to have faith for the resurrection. You will be raised whether you believe it or not. It's going to happen. You don't have to have faith for the judgment. You will stand in judgment whether you believe it or not. You can be the strongest, most well-written, most well-known atheist in the world, and you will be raised up and have to give account of the life that you lived. Amen? Father, we thank you in the name of Yeshua for the hope of the resurrection. Father, let us see that since this body is important to you, that it will be important to us. And we'll see that these bodies are temples of your spirit. And just as Yeshua said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. And he's talking about the temple of his body. You will raise these bodies up, Father, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, Father.